Did, Rebe was, did Rebecca do those slides? Nice. Rebecca Delena, raise your hand. She Christmasized all of our slides. So well done. Well done. So, uh, so how many people, parents, when you got the uh, song assignment for the special we were going to do for Christmas this year, were a little bit curious about why we picked that? Anybody? Yeah. All the great songs we could have done, silent, not all the classics, right? And we're doing Santa Claus coming. Did anybody say, I'm, I thought I knew about the City Life Church, right? Come on, tell the truth. I see some hands going up. All right. So let me, let me, let me read you the words to that song those kids sang. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you why. See, if you're a parent, you have that conversation with your kids every day. <laughs> Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. You're, gr you're grateful right now that I'm not singing it. Take my word for it. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not. You better not, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. We did that song because we're launching a brand new series this weekend that's going to be a conversation about grace that carries forward well into the new year. The reason is because the theme of Christmas with Santa Claus is that you get what you deserve. Am I right? That's the theme of Christmas with Santa Claus, is that you get what you deserve. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. He knows who's been naughty. He knows who's been nice, right? And we're singing that song with our kids to motivate them because you want to be nice so you get presents because if you've been naughty, you might not get any or you might not get what you thought you should. The theme of Christmas with Santa Claus is that you get what you deserve. The theme of Christmas with Jesus is that he gives what no person could ever earn. The theme of Christmas with Jesus is that he gives what no person could ever earn. And I don't know about you, but I want those gifts. I want the gifts that can only come to me, that come from the hand of a gracious God because of the price that Jesus paid for you and for me. This conversation about grace is going to be a big conversation for us as a church. Even just the concept of grace, the doctrine of grace, the belief of grace, the word grace, all throughout Scripture, it's enormous. You ever heard the saying, right, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? You ever heard that before? People use that often when they're about ready to, to embark on a monumental task. This is a monumental task that we're picking up as a church to begin this conversation with each other about grace. And in each weekend, we're just saying Let's just take a bite. So we're inviting you with us this weekend and as the series move forward that each weekend you're just going to take a little bite of the grace that God wants you to have. You're going to learn some things about grace that you didn't know before. That's going to be part of this journey, but that's not the purpose of this journey. We're using these images of consumption because more than learning about grace, we want you to have grace. And more than having grace, we want grace to have you. So, Father, as we launch out on this journey together tonight as a church family, as we begin this new series, Ever Grace, Father, let it be that these things that are far beyond our ability to fully understand, that when in our heart we feel them to be true, that we would give ourselves fully to them. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Evergrace. All right, so we like participation here at the City Life Church. Who, who can tell me what the word arborist means? Anybody? What's an arborist? Yes, yes, I see a hand. I'm going to get the mic to you, and you can tell me, Dave. Somebody that take care of oh, somebody that takes care of trees and trims them and nice. Somebody who works with trees. All right, so you got your choice. Do you want an iTunes gift card or do you want a movie ticket coupon? Movie tickets. All right, all right. Come on, give it up for Dave. An arborist. An arborist is somebody who works with trees. All right, now there's there's two main kinds of trees that exist. Two two kinds of categories. All right, now one's, it's an evergreen, so, could we, so you don't get any points for knowing that, right, because everybody knows that, all right? So the other one is what? Oh, come on. I see Caitlin Stellman hand up quick, quick draw. Caitlin Stellman, the other ones are called what? Deciduous trees, all right? $10 iTunes gift card. Okay, all right, we're, another giveaway here. It's Christmas time. Let's be generous. Come on. We don't have the list. We don't know who's been naughty or nice. All right, so this is, I just, this is a, one, a coupon for one, one free sweatshirt, right? And Jenna will, will make sure that it gets paid. So you turn that to the sweatshirt table. It's my card. It says Pastor Fred on the back, one free. And you, so, so somebody tell me, how about a college student, what the word deciduous means? Oh, I know. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, it's a tree that drops its leaves in the wintertime. Yes, so we're going to give that coupon to him. Come on, cheer, cheer. It, it, means, it means it has a tendency to fall away. It means that at maturity, it falls. I'm deciduous. Right here, I'm deciduous. And many of you who are laughing are deciduous with me, right? All right, now, now. All right, I'm done with the giveaway, so you're just participating now for, for, for your own pleasure. So, because we don't want you to be bitter, right? At the same time, get all excited, I don't get anything. All right, so, so of the trees that are evergreens, there's, there's really only about three main categories of evergreen trees. Anybody? What's one? Susan? Pomp? Conifers, yes, that's the ones that you're going to see the most. Conifers speaks to its shape, its cone shape, and it also speaks to their cone. They create cones that bear the seeds so the trees can multiply. So you've got conifers. What's a couple more? Anybody else? I've learned one this week I didn't know about. What's the big one for Christmas? Firs, that's a kind of conifer. What's the other kind that you'll see? There's pines. Those are all conifers. Spruce, those are all, they're in the conifer. Holly, thank you. Anybody, right? Holly, did you have, I used to have to go out. We had a holly tree, and I'd have to clip the holly, and my mom would decorate the house. It'd be on the mantles, the red berries, and the green. And, and then there's something called a live oak. I didn't know about that one. Did you ever hear about that? So there's a live oak that's down in the southern states, that that's an evergreen as well. So why are we talking about evergreens? We're trying to give you a, a botany lesson tonight. Because we want you to see that you're going to be hard-pressed to find a greater picture of grace in the world than the evergreen tree. Because what makes the tree an evergreen is that it does not change based on the climate that it's in, and that's God's grace towards you. God's grace towards you does not change based on the climate of your character. Are you glad for that? I certainly am. God's grace does not change for you based on the temperature of your spiritual passion. 
Maybe on the days that I'm waking up and then maybe my passion for, for Christ and my spirituality is, is not as strong as it should be. God doesn't say, okay, now I'm going to dial back my grace from you because of who you are. Grace is just the opposite. It does not change for you no matter who you are. It's ever grace. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there or swipe there. Vanessa said the other day, come on, there's a lot of people with, right, who's turning? Most people are swiping, right? Turn or swipe, whatever you choose. But do something, right? Bring something with you. All right, one, three through six. This is the text that is kind of setting off our whole series. We always pray for you. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of God's good news, the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Come on, let it be so too today. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. It might be for you tonight that you're going to be hearing about grace in a way that you've never heard about it before for the very first time. It, it might be that tonight you're going to hear about grace, not just with these ears, but the ears in here, to the point that you're going to take it, you're going to accept it, it's going to become a part of who you are. Grace is going to have you. It might be that you're going to hear about it, and we're going to come back to this idea of hearing about grace at the end of the service, but it might be that tonight, come on, if you came in tonight and you don't have grace or you don't have a sense of being held by grace, you're going to be held by this grace tonight. It is a grace that will never change. It's an ever grace, and it is one of the great and most grandest promises that God could give to you and me. It could be the greatest gift that you experience this Christmas season. All right, so let me read you the best Christmas song ever. Can I do that? So we did Santa Claus is Coming to Town. How about one that's a little bit better that could be titled Jesus is Coming to Town? Come on, Luke 2, chapter 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of Lord's, the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, right? It's frightening. And an angelic being appeared out of nowhere. These shepherds, they were the manual laborers of their day. They were outcasts and they were outside the city and they were tending the sheep. And then all of a sudden here, it's powerful that these are the people that the angels came to see. It's an ever grace. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. They didn't have a list. They weren't checking it twice. They didn't care about who'd been naughty and who'd been nice. It's the better song. It's for all people. It is the nature of grace. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. Jesus is coming to town, the city of David. 
And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. So now it's one angel to now it's countless. It's scores of angels fill the sky, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, the text takes an interesting turn there, which we're going to come to later. It goes from being inclusive to exclusive. Did you notice that? It says, hey, we've got great news for all people. And then in the end of the song, it says, but to those to whom with God is pleased. We're going to talk about that. This idea that, that grace is absolutely inclusive. It's absolutely for everyone if all of us are willing to do something. The greatest song. All right, so, we, so now that, we, that, was the, that was setting up the series. Are you ready for part one tonight? This is a commercial break. Anybody need to head to the restroom, right? Get some snacks? All right, so we, we, that's setting up our series. So, so let's dig into part, part one tonight. Now part of part one tonight, we're going we're gonna to dig deep into some details, right? And whenever we dig deep into details here at the City Life Church, it's because we're readying ourselves for revelation. You with me? When we're digging deep into the details, don't get lost in the weeds with me. Hang, hang in there. Because when we go deep in the details of God's Word, it's because we're readying ourselves for revelation. So if you've got your Bible, you can swipe, turn, touch, whatever gets you there. There it is. Just as a disclaimer, too, at the, uh, at the New, Year's, New Year's Eve party, the, uh, the, I would confirm that there, we're not going to get intoxicated at the New Year's Eve party, but... But your definition of everything else might be different from Vanessa's definition of everything else. I'm just saying, just for the record. So I heard a few snickerings, right, out in the congregation. Those of you who have a checkered past like myself, as opposed to Vanessa, who's been walking with the Lord since the day she was born, right? Everything else means something very different for her than you and me. Just, just for the record here, just in case that was recorded. My innocent wife. All right. John 19. Some of you now are disappointed. You're like, I'm not coming to that party then. <laughs> All right. John 19, verse 1. So we've moved forward in history 33 years. So Jesus has come. He's come to town. And now he's doing what he came to town for. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, look, here is the man. All right, let's jump over to verse 17. Jump over to verse 17. So carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it's called Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross, and two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus in between. 
And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected, objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, no, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, listen to this, deep in the details, they divided his clothes among the four of them. And they also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So, you know, every year we read through the Bible together as a church and we do different types of reading plans. And, and it was uh, sometime this fall when we got to this point in the, in the book of John and, and, and I had begun to pray about what our series was going to be in December. As I, as I got to this verse and saw the word seamless, it was like a, a spotlight shone right on it. And I just felt God speak to me and say, this is the series right here. It's like, where? <laughs> right here in this one word. God said to me, seamless. And I began a journey of studying. and I've, I've, I've read this text a million times throughout my life since I became a devoted follower of Christ in December of 1990. Never noticed this word, never paid attention to this word, never thought about this word. And that's, what, that's what Scripture's like for us. You can read it for the rest of your life. It's a living book, and there's just going to be different things the Holy Spirit illuminates for you. Every time you open this book, I hope you open it with great expectation that the creator of the universe wants to speak to you. Even if it's reading a story that you've read a million times before, there's something in there because it is alive that will reach out and grip your heart. So I began to think, you know, I wonder why such emphasis was given about the nature of Jesus' robe here at his crucifixion. Right? The Bible's, it's 66 different books. It's, there, there's an editing process that God did at some point. What do I want to put in there? We've got everything that he wanted us to have. So that means there's a lot that he chose not to give us, which means that what he did choose to give us compared to everything he could have said, it gives it great value. Every part of what he put in here, it's a treasure. So I thought to myself, I wonder if it has anything to do with the garments that the priest wore. I like to think that those are my own thoughts, right? We all know that's not the case, right? You, you think that you're coming up with these great ideas, and that's just the beauty of the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart. So, so let's, let's do this. Let's jump over to Exodus chapter 28. Come on, we're going deep in the details. Readying for Revelation. Exodus 28. Oh, come on, this is going to be good. Exodus 28, beginning in verse 31. It says, Make the robe that is worn with the ephod from one single piece of blue cloth. Now, there's different parts of the priest's garment. We're not going to go into all of those tonight. We might pick up with some of those as we move forward in this series. But it says, but, but the robe that's worn with the ephod, so the robe is separate, separate from that. Make it from a single piece of blue cloth. Everybody get one of these when you came in tonight? If you don't have one of these, raise your hand. The ushers are going to give you one. Keep, keep your hand up. Don't put it down. Come on. We want everybody to have one of these. Make sure. So they're, they're coming around with a basket. So just as you see them come by, just let them know if we want everybody to have one of these tonight. 
Make the robe that is worn with the ephod from a single piece of blue cloth with an opening for Aaron's head in the middle of it and reinforce the opening with a woven collar so it will not tear. Make pomegranates out of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and attach them to the hem of the robe with gold bells between them. The gold bells and the pomegranates, the pomegranates were were tassels, are to alternate all around the hem. And Aaron will wear this robe whenever he ministers before the Lord, and the bells will jingle as he goes in and out of the Lord's presence in the holy place, and if he wears it, he will not die. All right, let me read you this reference out of Josephus. Somebody said, did he just say Bocephus? We're not talking about Hank Williams Jr. tonight. Anybody know that that was Hank Williams Jr.'s nickname? Anybody, right? right. Do you know how he got that name? Because his father thought that he looked like a TV ventriloquist dummy who was named Bocephus, right? Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that, right? Not the nicknames you should be giving your kids. All right, Josephus, Josephus. He's one of the most respected historians who was a contemporary of biblical times. So the high priest is indeed adorned with the same garments that we have described, which some of the ones and descriptions that he gives and also here you can find in Scripture if you want to read some more about it. Without abating one, only over these he puts on a vestment of blue color. And this also is a long robe reaching to his feet and is tied around with the sash about the waist, embroidered with the same colors of flowers as the former with a mixture of gold and interwoven and to the bottom of which garment are hung fringes or tassels in the colors of pomegranates with golden bells by a curious and beautiful creation so that between two bells hangs a pomegranate and between two pomegranates hangs a bell. Now you think about all the different focuses that God could have given on Jesus' death. And here we have this picture, an emphasis, a point of direction that's given to the robe that he was wearing. And the Holy Spirit inspires the gospel writer to say, make sure you put in there that it's seamless. And every Jewish person who would have read this letter, even though some of this that you're hearing tonight, you might be hearing it for the first time, it was part of their everyday culture. They knew exactly what that meant. They understood the picture that God was giving to the world. In ancient times in Israel, there was a person that was called the high priest. And although many of the priests wore outfits similar to the ones that we've described already, Aaron's was just all the more colorful. It was all the more symbolic. It was all the more representative. And so this robe that he wore was a little bit different from all the other ones. In fact, many people believe he's the only one that would have worn the one that was dyed in this color blue. And the high priest, there's only one high priest in all of Israel, and part of the responsibility of the high priest is that he goes into the holiest of holies, which is the centermost part of the temple for the Jewish people, and in there, he makes a sacrifice once a year for the sins of the nation. Once a year. And that's the only time he's allowed to go in there. 
That's where the literal presence of God that all of us felt so profoundly in our worship time together, and maybe some of you are experiencing his presence even now. Only one person in the whole world could go and be in his presence, and even that person was only allowed to go in one time every year. And it's interesting that part of what he wore was this garment, which I believe is one of the great symbols of grace. It's interesting that in the text that we read together, it says that there were bells that were sewn on to the hem of this garment that that made noises as he walked in. And it says so that he would not be consumed by the judgment of God when he got into that place. This robe was a powerful picture of the grace of God that was given to him that made it possible for him to be in God's presence. But even then, only then, it was just a symbol. He could only go in once a year. Some historians believe that they tied a rope to the ankle of the high priest in case he was living a duplicitous life and he were to fall dead before the judgment of God in the holiest of holies and, and, and so they could pull him out, right? You can imagine the first time that probably happened, the other priest was like, you go in and get him. I'm not going in and get him. You go in, right? You know, they, they probably left him there and said, let the next high priest get him next year, right? We'll just leave him in there. And then from now on, right, he's going in with a rope tied around his ankle so they can get him back out of there. They have to do an evacuation. It's interesting to me, too, that these bells that hung on his robe, he didn't take those bells off when he stepped out of the holiest of holies. He wore that robe wherever he went in the community. And it's interesting to me that on every other part as you move around. There was a tassel. Now, if, if we were to take the time and read through all the scriptures that speak about this, we know that the tassels represented the Word of God. It's powerful. All the tassels that were on his robe represented the giving of the laws of God to man. Now, we know in this book it's filled with great and glorious promises like some of the ones that we've already read together. But there's also a lot of demands in this book, right? If you've spent some time reading it, you know God has some expectations for how he expects us to live. How about loving your enemies? How are you doing on that one? I'm not doing so good with that one myself, right? How about that one? How about not just giving out of your excess, but giving sacrificially to the point that it causes you to live at a lesser standard of living? How are we, right? You, there's some demands that are in this book that are not easy. How about turning the other cheek? How are you doing with that one? It's hard, isn't it? Going the extra mile. Thinking of others as more highly than yourself. You can say, ouch, that one hurts. Yeah. And he doesn't say thinking of people who are better than you as better. He says, think of all people as though they're better than yourself, even if you're not sure if they are. There's a lot of demands and expectations that are on this book. That's tassel after tassel after tassel. And as the priest moved about the community, the bell was moving, right? Everywhere he went, right? You got a cat in your house that's got a bell on its collar, right? When people come to visit, they're like, would that cat just please sit still, right? Everywhere this priest went, he's just making noise, making noise, making noise. And when people look, they see the tassels, and they're reminded of everything they're supposed to do and not do. And if that were to be you and me, you know exactly the feeling that comes next. One of great condemnation because they know that they're always just living a life that's falling short. Isn't it powerful that none of that was connected to the sash? 
None of that was connected to the turban. None of that was connected to the ephod. None of that was, it was connected to the robe that represents God's grace. So in that moment that they see the demand of God upon them and they feel the falling short inside of their heart that maybe you feel even now, the very next thing that they would see would be the robe that it was attached to. They understood that it represented the grace and the forgiveness of God and they understood what's being said to you tonight. When you fall short, God's grace makes up the difference. When, when you realize that you're not meeting the expectations that the tassels represent, you have a revelation that the grace of God says that's okay, I'm there for you when you fall short. So here we fast forward through time and we find Jesus on a cross and he's not wearing his robe. Why is that? Because Jesus chose to step out of the grace of God so that he could die for you and for me. He chose to take off the grace that was given to him by his Father so that the judgment of God for all the mistakes that you've made and all the mistakes that I made, the judgment of God could get to him and his life could be laid down as a sacrifice for the world. It would be as though if the high priest, when he was getting his outfit together, said, I'm not going to wear the robe of grace when I go in on the Day of Atonement because I want my life personally, not the lamb that I'm bringing. I want my life to be given as a sacrifice my people. That's what Jesus did. He derobed himself. Oh, and it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> As he's looking down from the cross, one of the things that he says is, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. What's he saying? As he looks down and he sees those soldiers that are gambling for that robe, that's seamless, John the Gospel writer says. This is just my own conjecture. I think one of the thoughts that Jesus had in that moment was, hey, you don't have to fight over that, guys. There's one for each of you. You, you, you don't have to fight over this robe. I've got one for all of you. And not just for you. I've got one for the whole world to wear. So what about this idea of it being seamless? What's that about? If you're, if you're tracking with us tonight, you're beginning to realize this, this idea that, that, that this robe represents the grace of God that's been given to you and to me. But what, what's this idea of about it being seamless? Pastor Justin and his wife Stephanie are going to come help me out here. And Cord, sorry. Cord's coming. Stand in. Any sewers here? Right? I can sew a button. That's about it. You with me? So I went into Joanne Fabrics this week, and I was determined not to ask anyone for help. Right? I, know, I hear you laughing. I know. As well, you should be. Right? But they've got these patterns that are in there. Anybody ever made something off of one of these? Right? 
And, and so you, you take some scissors and you, you cut out the different parts of this outfit that you might be making. And you know what this one's for? It's for a robe that you would wear, just like the robe of the ephod. Right there at Joanne Fabrics, who knew? And you cut out all the little parts and you lay them on the fabric that, that you would get. And you begin to cut all those pieces out. And you begin to stitch them together. And when you've got a final product, you've got what many of you are hopefully wearing that you didn't come to church naked tonight, right? You've got clothes that have seams. All of you, you've got clothes that have seams. But not this robe that the high priest wore. Not this robe that Jesus wore. Not this robe. Not this robe that the soldiers were gambling for, for the prize that they wanted to take home as a memorial for this moment in history that they didn't even understand that they were being a player in. And as I was reading through this sermon and studying through this sermon, I don't remember what day it was, but all of a sudden there was just this moment where I felt God's presence in such a tangible way. And this is what he whispered to me. I don't give my grace out in pieces. I don't give it out in pieces. We, we, we gave you this tonight because we want you to know what grace isn't, and it's not this. Can, can you imagine if when you made a decision to become a follower of Christ, that there were a team of angels that were assigned to your pattern for your robe of grace that's custom made for you, and they began to go to work cutting out all the little parts. And, and, and on that day that you made a decision for Christ, that, that, that in a spiritual sense, one of them comes to you and he gives you this little swatch of fabric. And God says to you, let's see how he does with this piece before we give him any more. Let's see how he does with this measure of grace before we share any more. No, 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 no. It's seamless. God's grace is given to us all together, all at once, at one time. If there's any learning that you're going to do tonight, I hope it's the fact that you learn this. The grace of God is the complete and total acceptance of who we are as we are. The grace of God is the complete and total acceptance of who we are as we are. No matter how much time you've been spending in there, God's grace, it's ever grace. It does not change based on the climate of your character. It is a robe that he places upon you from that very first day that you made a decision to become a follower of Christ and you carry that robe with you, the grace of God that clothes every part of who you are all the days of your life until you breathe your last and you're ushered into eternity into paradise with him. It's not meted out in pieces. It's all one thing. His gift to you for you to have for the rest of your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Ever grace, from the day you first heard. From the day you first heard. For some of you tonight, you're missing out on one of your greatest callings in life is to let your story of grace 
be a noise in the world in which you live. You see, because we know as we continue to read through the Bible, we come to some great verses that begins to talk of us as being a kingdom of priests. A robe of grace that you've been given because you're a follower of Christ. And guess what's on that robe? Some bells. It's your voice. It's your example. It's the life that you live. You're supposed to be a person as a Christ follower that's in the community. Not, not perfect. We, we're, not, we're not saying that. You don't have to be perfect to be a witness for Christ. If anything, when you're honest about your imperfections, you're the greatest witness of the grace of God in the world you could ever be. But part of your journey, part of your responsibility, part of the expectation that God has of you and for me is we're going to make some grace noise in the world. For people that don't yet know the beauty and the wonder of being clothed in this grace, people that are walking around spiritually naked and have no idea about this great gift of grace that which we speak tonight. There should be something from the noise of your life that causes them to look and to see and to wonder what that's all about. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have a degree in theology. You just have to tell your story. Like the man in John chapter 9 that says, the only thing that I can tell you is I was once blind, but now I see. There is a story of grace that God wants your life to tell during this Christmas. I'm telling you, there are people, there are divine encounters that are waiting for you, whether it's standing in line at a mall or at a punch bowl at some office Christmas party. I'm not talking about beating people over the head with the Bible. I'm talking about being a person that has a heart to feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And just in that moment, whatever God drops in your heart, make the noise of grace that they need to hear. Because it might just be. It's what they need to begin their journey of wearing the garment of grace. Stand with me. Father, our hearts are filled and overwhelmed with gratitude tonight that you did not give grace to us like we give it to people. That you don't give your grace to us like we meet it out to people around us. Because we give it out in in portions because we've got a list and we're checking it twice and it's all based on who's been naughty or nice to us but that's not you God that's not you that's not you oh the ever grace of God that you would have it tonight and that it would have you let's worship together